Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Thank you and welcome to the I See Old People podcast. I See Old People is an ongoing discussion, review, ins, outs, ups, downs, what's amazing and what's terrible about being a senior. This program is available to all seniors and I want to start out by apologizing. We're only into our second episode. I have to apologize for the quality of the first episode, especially the intro. And when I listened to it afterwards, after it was published, it sounded like a alt-right or a uh, white supremacy type of thing that I was talking about. So I want to make it very, very clear that this podcast is not an alt-right podcast. It is not a white supremacy podcast. It is about aging. It is about old people. Why I called it I See Old People is because I am a newly minted senior. I was born in November 1959. I just turned 60 last week on Saturday, and I started to develop this podcast idea a couple years ago, knowing that my 60th birthday was approaching and that I would soon be a newly minted senior. So what I was trying to explain in the intro, in the terrible intro of my first episode, my eight mile episode, was that the podcast is about aging. The podcast is about the ups and downs of aging. And because I am a 60 year old white man, a lot of the things that I see will be filtered through those types of eyes. And that's why I had mentioned in last week's episode is that there seems to be a lot of animosity towards white males, uh, older white males particularly, and uh, the boomer age of the older white males, which I am. I'm at the very, very tail end of the baby boom born in 1959. The baby boom started in 1945, 46, and lasted to approximately 1962. So I was at the tail end of that big bell curve that came and kind of changed the whole way our society was structured for each, each institution that the baby boomers went through changed dramatically. When they started going to uh, primary school, the primary schools changed the way they, they taught, the numbers of them, the size of them. When they went to high school, they completely changed high school culture. When they started into the business world, they changed the way business was done. And now as they're getting older, the first baby boomers are now turning 70. As they're getting older, the baby boomers now are changing what retirement means, they're changing what aging means, and they're certainly going to change what death and dying means. So when I was talking about a white male in my first episode, I'm simply talking about myself. And when I look out into the world, I cannot help but see the world filtered through these eyes that grew, up, grew for 60 years on this earth as a white male. So I apologize for any misunderstanding that any reader, uh, any listener could possibly have uh, drawn from that. I know I was upset myself when I read it, and I thought, oh, this is a terrible way to start this podcast. Now, I do feel that the second part and the ending of the podcast did improve somewhat, but boy, that beginning was horrible. So anyway, last week, I, as I was saying, I did celebrate my 60th birthday very, very quiet affair. My wife and I went out for a beautiful dinner up in Brantford, Ontario to a, a wonderful Italian 
Uh, I would say it would be an Italian-Greek fusion type of restaurant. Very, very fine dining, cloth napkins, uh, very fussy over us, you know, making sure the tablecloth was clear and every plate was removed and the new and proper fork and knife was always put into place. I love a place like that. It's a real throwback. Uh, this particular cafe has been there for about 30 years. The owner spoke to us uh, at length. He's quite a character himself. And uh, he's been in the uh, food and beverage entertainment industry his entire life. He can remember being a five or six year old boy and washing dishes in his father's restaurant. So uh, it's wonderful to go to a place like that where the history and uh, all of the all of those fine dining type of things that we see so rarely nowadays uh, are, are there. They still exist. You kind of have to hunt them out and you have to be willing to pay for them as well. Uh, certainly uh, it wasn't a cheap night out, but it was a heck of a lot cheaper than my 50th birthday party. The 50th birthday party 10 years ago that was a big blowout. We had a huge party. We had about 40 people over to the house. There's a lot of drinking going on. It was uh, it was quite an affair. It was uh, uh, I look back at the pictures and uh, I was quite heavy. I had a, a glass of wine in my hand at, in every picture that was taken of me. Um, I did not look particularly healthy as well. And over the ten years from when I turned 50 until just last year, I did drink fairly heavily. Uh, in the last few years, I really got into those craft beer, the strong beers, uh, the IPAs. Those IPAs can come in at, you know, six and a half would be a, a mild one, but some of them are seven and a half, eight, eight and a half percent alcohol. So almost like a barley wine. I think there used to be called barley wine when it got up into the 10 percent or 11 percent range. But uh, I started to drink that beer pretty frequently. It put a ton of weight onto my abdomen. I became very, very heavy. I actually reached, last year, I reached my peak weight of 277 pounds, uh, which is about 110 kilos. So I have, uh, since I quit drinking a year ago, I have dropped uh, 10 kilos. So I'm down to 101 kilos, uh, or approximately 250 pounds. I'd really like to get a little bit lighter than that. Um, my, I kind of think my ideal weight is around 240, 250. Is, 250 is still a little bit high. Uh, but I have to tell you how I feel with one year of sobriety under my belt. And I, I, do, I must point out that it was not a continuous one year. Uh, it was close. It was darn close. But I did have a little bit of on a holiday in the fall in September where I drank for a couple of days um, in Halifax and uh, I, I don't really regret it. Uh, I, I regret the fact that I felt so horrible after it but I don't regret the fact that the relapse happened because I really really learned from it. I learned that I had been eight months sober, I hadn't had a single drink and then in, over those three days, although I was not drinking excessively, just the alcohol itself was turning my stomach, was giving me a headache, 
was making me feel feel sluggish and lethargic, a feeling that I hadn't felt in a long time. So when common sense came back into me, I, I put down the uh, beer bottle and I haven't picked it up since. So out of 365 days of the year that just passed, 362 of them were stone cold sober. And I'm very proud of that. I'm very happy about that. It has changed my life, particularly this fall. This fall, fall is a terrible time of year for me. Usually you get mild depression and at the very least I get a dystonic type of, uh, almost like a robotic type of uh, mood where I, I just, I'm going through life without really experiencing it or, uh, or loving it, Not loving it or hating it, just nothing, just this kind of dead mood called dystonia. And uh, this year it was really mild. There was no depression no sleeping issues uh, when the time changed. Uh, life is just completely different. Getting along with my wife, getting along with my kids, don't lose my temper as easily, have more energy. Uh, there is a, one other factor. I have been going to the gym as well, but I think the major factor without question is that I put the beer bottles down and I stop drinking, start drinking water, enjoying uh, I've never been one to drink pop I don't I don't, I don't like sugar water I don't like uh, sweet drinks at all uh, I like my coffee black <clears throat> or with just some cream and I generally just drink water so it may be, maybe carbonated water club soda once in a while maybe some lemon in it some lime in it uh, but I'm fine with that and I and I feel fantastic I've lost the weight my mind is clear I've started this wonderful project although it's, it certainly has gotten off to a bumpy start. But I think that this podcast will kind of bring us back into more of a, an even keel, the type of thing that I want to present to you on a weekly basis. So I want to start off just by talking to you about that, uh, just to apologize for that opening of my, of my, first, con uh, my first podcast. But I've certainly, uh, I've already put that behind me. A week has passed. Uh, we've had all kinds of interesting, interesting things going on this week uh, to share with you. And so I'm very, very excited about kind of jumping into our second podcast and make sure that everybody is very, very aware that this is a podcast that is open to everyone, male, female, black, white, oriental, uh, Indian, Philippine, Aboriginal, anyone and everyone. We're all aging and we're all aging together. So we're going to do it together. We're going we're gonna to learn things as we go along. Uh, we're going to teach each other. That's why it's so important that you contact us and contact the show. Give us your feedback. Tell me if it's uh, something you don't understand. Tell me if there's something you want me to talk about. I'm very, very interested in what you have to say. We're starting to pick up listeners from all around the world right now, and so I'm thrilled about that. And I really am, am looking to have a worldwide discussion about these issues that affect all of us as we age. Well, I already feel better about this episode. I think it's going along much better than the first one did. <clears throat> so I want to talk about a couple of studies. One of the things I'm going to be doing on the podcast is curating the thousands and thousands of studies that are out there. And I've come across two that I think that uh, you, you listeners are really going to uh, find interesting. <clears throat> so 
Just a sec, I have to have a glass of water. <clears throat> All right. So, uh, okay, so number one. Okay, the study that I came across, it made some startling discoveries about how predictable accelerated aging can be. Okay, how it can be detected in people as young as 45. And even more startling is that some of these issues discovered when they were 45 were actually predictive when the subject was only three years old. This is an absolutely fascinating study. This is a long-term study. It was found that signs of aging may be detected in a simple walking test at the age of 45, and that the brains of slower walkers were different at age three. Okay, so what they did is they took the walking speeds of 45-year-olds, okay, particularly their fastest walking speed, okay, that point you go to just before you have to break into a run. <clears throat> And this can be used as a uh, this can then be used as a marker of their aging brains and their bodies. Okay, so uh, this was a smallish, smaller size study because it was only a thousand people. But they took those thousand people, and they found that the slower walkers were shown to have accelerating aging on a 19 measure scale that was devised by researchers. Their lungs, their teeth their immune systems all tended to be in worse shape than the people who walked faster. The thing is that's really striking is that this is a 45-year-old, these are 45-year-old people, okay, these are not geriatric patients, okay, uh, these are usually the, the people who are assessed for these types of measures, how fast can you walk, it's usually in geriatrics. So, equally striking was the neurocognitive testing that these individuals took as children would predict who would become the slower walkers. At age three, the scores on their IQ, their understanding language, their frustration tolerance, their motor skills, and their emotional control predicted their walking speed at 45. Now, isn't that an amazing thing? Doctors know that slow walkers in their 70s and 80s tend to die sooner than fast walkers the same age. Okay, so this study has covered a period from preschool years to midlife and found that a slow walk is a problem sign decades before old age. The data comes from a long-term study of nearly 1,000 people who were born during a single year in Dundee, New Zealand. As they followed them through, they ended up with still 904 research subjects in the current study. They've been tested, they've been quizzed, they've been measured for their entire lives. Most recently in April of 2019, at the age of 45. So this study appears in the October 11th, 2019 issue of the Journal of the American Medical Association. MRI exams during their last assessment showed the slower walkers tended to have lower total brain volume. So in short, their brains appeared somewhat smaller and older. And adding insult to injury, perhaps, is that the slower walkers also looked older to a panel of eight screeners who assessed each participant's facial age from a photograph. So gait speed, or the speed you can walk, has long been used as a measure of health and aging in geriatric patients. But what's new in this study is the relative youth of these study subjects and the ability to see how walking 
walking speed matches up with the health measures the study has collected during their lives. So there could be some differences in health and cognition. It could be tied to lifestyle choices that these individuals have made in the 45 years. But the study also suggests that there were, are already signs in early life of who would become the slowest walkers. We may have a chance with this to see who is going to be doing better health-wise in later life and then possibly having interventions into it to help to change that. So in the second study, the second study is a little bit more <clears throat> joyful. Uh, the study is called Urban Dwellers Who Live Near Nature Are Less Likely to Die Early. So nature does the body good. That's what the, the study has found. So this is a sprawling new analysis, more than 8 million people, okay? And it suggests that to boost a resident's longevity so they live longer, cities should get a lot less gray and a lot more green. Urban dwellers who live in close proximity to greenery are less likely to die before their life expectancy, per the findings of the Lancet Planetary Health Study. This is, the authors have called this study the largest of its kind. Researchers tracked the millions of people across seven countries, including the U.S., throughout their lives and found no matter the location on Earth or type of green, living near nature yield a similar health benefit globally. The researcher defined green space quite literally. He and his team identified green patches of land using satellite images. Vegetation and size of green spaces varied across the world from public parks to grassy backyards. It'll take future studies to whittle it down to the type of green spaces that produce the healthiest people, but the outcome of the study was clear. Green is good. The health benefits of greenery are broad and varied. Green spaces like parks are excellent venues for physical activity and other health-boosting activities. And vegetation, it can act as a buffer between residents and the blaring city racket, even if it's as simple as a tree-lined street. Plants also help to regulate temperature and extremity of environment. So more research is needed to determine the most evident benefit of the green space, Narrower studies have to be done to outline, you know, what are significant improvements in each particular area. So uh, here's one of the kind of a, a similar type of study. Back in 2016, three years ago, they found that U.S. women living in green spaces with dense greenery had a 12% lower death rate than women who did not live near green spaces. So that they found death rate difference there. They also did a study about three years ago where they had some more specifics. Women who lived near lush greenery had a 41% lower death rate for kidney disease, 34% lower death rate for respiratory disease, 13% lower death rate for cancer. So they're starting to specify each, each particular benefit as they go through these studies. So for policymakers around the world, it's clear, okay, you have to greenify cities. This study demonstrates clearly that the health rewards far, far outweigh the costs. Several major cities are already following this lead. New York City has successfully turned 27% of its land into public green spaces, and it's the leading U.S. city doing this. 
uh, on a, a side note, uh, turning cities back into greenery, uh, the city of Detroit has been doing that for a number of years now. Uh, the city of Detroit had many, many uh, brownstone buildings that were dilapidated, vandalized, broken down, and they started removing them and basically turning the city back in, uh, turning land within the city boundaries back into farmland. So there's a, a one green movement in Detroit. And Paris, going a step further, they have vowed to turn one-third of its public green spaces into sustainable urban farms, okay? So chickens, beehives, vegetables, that's, that's what they find is going to help to contribute to health. And these studies are starting to prove that. What can you do if there's no green spaces? The authors of this uh, study do suggest fill your backyards with living, uh, with living plants, uh, a backyard garden, uh, a, a, if you only have a back patio, Put some plants out there make nature part of your life make it close keep it close and be part of it so those are two really interesting takes on longevity and so we can predict very accurately by simply observing walking speed in middle age predict accurately how healthy they're going to be in old age okay so this was the smaller of the study but it opens up huge number of questions and can lead to strategies to decelerate the aging once that slow walking has been observed perhaps there are interventions then that can be taken the second study was huge eight million people and it found that without question people live longer and are healthier when they live near nature any nature so this research suggests that regular contact with green space has massive mental and physical health benefits for all of us, but particularly for older adults. It has a huge benefit and it often means not only greater fitness and brain oxygenation, but considerably more feelings of optimism. So a big park or a conservation area, it's spectacular. But if you only can fill your home with plants and your garden and your yard, if you have one, you could still replicate these positive results. Green space, a garden, plants, trees, they're not optional. If you want to live a long and healthy life, you have to make nature part of your life. You either have to live near it or live in it or you have to visit it and you have to run barefoot through it. It's a proven scientific fact. Running bare through, barefoot through nature will make you feel better. There's no question. I just made that up, but there's no question in my mind that it's true. The study just screams one more interesting finding that we are not separate from nature. We need nature. We are part of nature. We need, to, we need nature to be healthy. We need nature to live a long life. It's a symbiotic relationship. Nature and healthy people go hand in hand. So those are the two studies that I wanted to talk about today. <clears throat> Excellent. The work in longevity that is going on in the world is phenomenal. And I, you know, like we all know, everyone who listens to this podcast, that I just turned 60 years old. And at one time, 60 years old was considered, you know, fairly old. You, you, were, you were on death's door in a few years. You only had a few years left to live. Uh, 60 now, I mean, I've never felt better. I feel like I'm in the prime of my life. I know I'm not. I know that I'm in the last third of my life. But boy, the way I feel today compared to... Well, I'll give you an example. When I was, when I was growing up in Thunder Bay, I had a part-time job at the grain elevators. Not a part-time job, <clears throat> excuse me. 
it was a summer job. So I worked there in the summertime for the two months I was off school. And this is high school, so I worked there for July and August. And uh, grain elevators are very, very dusty places. You have to wear a mask. Uh, they're very, you breathe in a lot of, a lot of particle matter. Uh, the, the, dust, the dust is very, very heavy. So when I was working there, which would have been about 1975, the people who were the oldest laborers on the floor, they would have been my age today. They would have been 60. 62, 63, 64, they, they looked like skeleton of men. They looked like they were, they were on death's door. They were barely able to function. And then these people would retire at 65, and then their funeral would be shortly afterwards. So things have, cha have changed so tremendously. And it's because of our knowledge, uh, our knowledge of things like nature, how we can intervene and, and, and get to a problem and fix it before it becomes a bigger problem. It's one of the things that we're, we talk about a lot on our, on our podcast is the baby boomers. And I, I wanted to really kind of talk about the different, the different classifications or the generational uh, names that we are giving to these different groups in society, especially with the start of this whole OK Boomer thing. I started hearing OK Boomer and I started thinking, uh, well, who's telling? Who's saying "Okay, Boomer"? And I guess it's the Millennials. And and who who are the Millennials? And and who are the Gen Xers? And who are the Traditionalists? So so I've gone ahead and uh, and made up a little little chart here, and we're going to just touch on it for a moment. We're going to talk about it more in future episodes. But the Traditionalists uh, are the are the generation before the Baby Boomers. Okay. So they are currently from 70 to about 90, basically. Okay, 70 to 90. Uh, they also were called the veterans generation, the silent generation, um, radio babies, the forgotten generation. Okay, so these were people who were too young to fight in World War II, uh, but they were part of the whole experience okay so they were raised by parents that had just survived the great depression okay they, they experienced hard times while they were growing up and then that was followed by times of prosperity so then we go to the next category and that's the category that i am in and that i would imagine the majority of my listeners will be in over time and that's the baby boomers so the baby boomers were born after the war. There was a big boom. Uh, everyone had put off having children. And then, of course, in 1946, the war ended. And so the baby boomers were uh, coming in in full force. So the baby boomers are aged anywhere from uh, 58 to 70. Okay, so uh, 1946 to 1964. So uh, an example of a baby boomer, Bill Clinton is a baby boomer. Meryl Streep's a baby boomer. Dr. Bruce is a baby boomer. And there are about 80 million baby boomers. So then we go to Gen X. Okay, so Gen X are the people that were born from 1965 to 1980. Okay, so an example of a Gen Xer, Barack Obama, the, the past president of the United States. Jennifer Lopez, she's a Gen Xer. And the Gen Xer population is smaller than the baby boomers. There's only 51 million Gen Xers. So uh, they've been called the post-boomers. They've been called Gen Xers mostly. And they, they kind of lived through 
the energy crisis, uh, dual income, no kids, uh, latchkey kids, Y2K, end of the Cold War. Uh, there was an increased divorce rate. Uh, their perceptions uh, growing up, taking care of themselves early, watching politicians lie, and and they saw their parents go through some hard times. Okay, so this is the first generation. Gen X is the first generation that will not do as well financially as their parents did. So this is quite a an interesting fact right there. So Gen Xers have a little bit of... Uh, they're a smaller group than the baby boomers. And then we go to the millennials. Okay, so the millennials, the ones who like to say, okay, boomer, uh, they, were, they were born pretty much from 1981 to the year 2000. Okay, so all of my children, I have four children. My four children are all millennials. Ashton Kutcher is an example of a millennial. Uh, Serena Williams is a millennial. And the millennials pop up again in numbers. There's 75 million. So there's only, they're only a little bit less than the baby boomers, but of course they're going to become much more dominant because the baby boomers, you know, baby boomers are turning 70 now. So they're going to start to, uh, their power in society is going to start to diminish. And of course they're going to start to, to die off. So those two things combined will bring the millennials as probably the next kind of equal to the boomer type of group uh, in size and in power. So the millennials, and then the Gen uh, Gen Z, if you're in Canada, Gen Z, if you're probably anywhere else in the world, but uh, Gen Gen Z is uh, the next generation born uh, after 2000. Uh, they are just very young young children today, and uh, they have never not known the internet. So the internet has been part of their life, and they'll be uh, the first generation to be raised totally and completely in the internet age so that makes them unique as well so we have then the traditionalists or the silent generation now there's not even a number for them because you know they're they're quite old now or they've passed away uh, the baby boomers from 46 to 64 gen x from 65 to 80 the millennials 81 to 2000 and then the gen z or gen z are from 2001 to, uh, you know, to up to a couple of years ago. So that's where we're at. But we're going to talk a lot more about that because, uh, I well, I find it interesting. I find it actually fascinating. As the baby boomers kind of lose prestige and lose power as they start to get too old, I mean, young baby boomers like myself, we're still vital. We're working, we're producing, we're, we're doing things. But the boomers, like I said, are turning 70 this year. And they're 75 and when they're 80 and when they're 85, their uh, influence will diminish accordingly. Okay, so that's the podcast. That's our, our second podcast, and I'm uh, just thrilled to be able to put it out there. Thank you to all of you who have listened, who have spent some time with me. Agree totally if you're shaking your head and wondering if you can come back again, but I ask you please to consider it because uh, we're only going to get better. We're going to present more and interesting information and I really want to grow as a family. I want us to share with each other. I want us to become the type of group that we can say we are, we are boomers and we are proud and uh, we are healthy. We are carrying on. We're optimistic. And we're trying to be. Uh, we're trying to be part of the solution. We're tired of being blamed for all the problems of the world. 
We do want to be part of the solution, and we will be part of the solution. But it starts with a conversation, and that conversation can be held right here. So uh, again, I'm thrilled if you've made it to the end. And, and uh, please, please hit subscribe. Come back next week. We'll have a whole new episode for you, and we'll be gone to episode number three. We're going to start to introduce some of the interviews I've been doing. We've just got some really fun, interesting information to help us all grow together. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much. This has been the ICO People Podcast. Dr. Bruce will be looking for you, looking for information to help you through the next week, through the next month, through the next 10 years. We'll be here. Thank you so much.